Welcome to Babel on the Great, where we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses' latest, weirdest, and greatest teachings. I am XJW Caleb, and with me as always is my little Pimo and Dax the Scholar. Say hi, guys. Say hi. <clears throat> hi. No one cares because we have another person in the house recording with us. This person, like his first video just went completely viral. And then he made a whole bunch of amazing videos, took a few days for a break, and now he's coming back. That is Harrison Cother, a.k.a. The Truth Harrison. Harrison, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you very much for having me. We are very excited to have you, aren't we, guys? Oh, yeah. Harrison's uh, intro. I I'm not used to hearing his voice without his intro coming on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you've got Harrison the coolest the intro. I feel like intro. you've got the coolest intro. I was yeah. excited, and then you baited me into saying hi. And then told me I don't matter, <laughs> but it's fine. You know of what? course you, not. We I matter so little, a... he didn't even let me sit, get my high out. So it's quite an interesting position with regards to the intro on a channel because I'd already um, met with the elders and I'd handed in my letter. Yeah. Um, and then they, I think the week before that, they'd give a warning talk. And it was, Melissa was still on Zoom. So she was still listening to the meetings. Obviously, they knew I wasn't. But the warning talk started and she, she came in and she was like, I think... I think they're doing a talk about you. I was like, what do you mean? And and she brought it in and it was like, okay, it is, this is a talk about me. And then, so the next week I was like, we met with the elders, handed in the letter. And so she was still on Zoom. So I could, I could be there with my phone, a press record just at the right time. So you had the Harrison Coder is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses cut. And I was like, there's the intro. Yes. Okay, yeah, I've um, I've seen your intro. I have to admit, um, I took a break from watching XJW content because I was starting to get burned out. So the only thing I've seen of your content is your intro, because I also I also <laughs> recorded <laughs> I also recorded my uh, my disassociation announcement. Oh, fantastic! And somebody said you should do what Harrison did, and I said, "Who's Harrison?" And they said, "Here." <laughs> and and so I watched the intro, and then I ran out. Of, I was working nights at the time, and then you know things went crazy. But um, that's great. We, it's a really good intro. We've introduced that, Dax that's... to Harrison like five times already. Every time that yeah. we're like, "Hey, we should do like this like Harrison or whatever," Dax is like, "Who's Harrison?" <laughs> like five times happened. <laughs> I, hope I that work doesn't full keep happening after we record this episode. I work oh, full time. Yeah, no. Also, okay. uh, the, the someone who said you should you should do what Harrison did and record it that was me. That's yeah, someone. I know. <laughs> I I just now remembered. It was like five months and then ago you too. Recorded and you're like, well, I can't copy him. So now what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just go through spells uh, as an XJW. You come out. You're obsessed with content, um, but I haven't seen anyone's video if i'm being honest i i mean i saw xjw caleb a few of his just because i think they're they're fantastic i haven't seen any of basically anyone for six seven months yeah I, I was told someone said oh what did you think of stephen let's quote and i was like what who what <laughs> when did Lett, you I was like, what when did you disassociate <laughs> or when was when did you uh start watching xjw content Oh, way before I disassociated. Okay, yeah, so when did you disassociate? Uh, September 2020. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So I had to get my whole life in order before I could finally uh, yeah. pull the gun on myself, is the analogy I use. Because um, yeah. I was working for my dad, um, employed window cleaning, and obviously doing his customers. Mm -hmm. And I had to go around and knock door to door, um, around towns and villages for all summer to try and build up a customer base so that when that went through, I could then put bread on the table for, for me and Melissa. 
Yeah, it's a it's a uh, huge process to leave the Jehovah's Witnesses because they make it so hard to leave. You really want to leave, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are like, no, no, no. It, it actually, you won't have this and this and that and everything you've built that around Jehovah's Witnesses. So when you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, you live your whole life, and yeah, it's pretty hard. You can also be just to Dax and just like. Nah, screw it. I'm going to just DA the moment I start watching apostate content. Oh, yeah. Dax, Dax just pulled uh, uh, the gun, like, immediately. <laughs> I, I won the speedrun competition. No one's beaten me yet. <laughs> but let's not dwell on that too much because that is that is very depressing. And we don't have a depressing topic for you guys today. We actually have Ooh. a very interesting topic. Or, well, I guess you'll be the judge of it. We are going to talk about the most unscientific beliefs you have to hold as a Jehovah's Witnesses because Jehovah's Witnesses have very wacky beliefs and we can talk about CSA cases and all of that stuff but this is what gives the Jehovah's Witnesses the flavor if if you will this is this is the, um the kind of stuff that is fun to talk about later because you're like man can you believe can you believe we we believe in this like can you believe we believe in this can you believe we believed in what my little Pimo is going to introduce us next my little people, what's, what's your topic? The one I want to talk about first uh, is what I now know is to be known as the firmament. So for those who aren't aware, Jehovah's Witnesses tell themselves that they believe in science and that the Bible doesn't contradict science. And they'll go out of their way to twist the Bible to say, oh, well, that actually is scientific. But one of the things Jehovah's Witnesses believe is that prior to Noah's flood, so as you recall, Noah's flood God, Jehovah, shows a rainbow at the end as a promise that there will never be a flood again. So the Jehovah's Witnesses like take this down a few logical steps and they say, okay, there was never a rainbow before and rainbows are caused by rain. So therefore, there must never have been rain before. May I interject for uh, a second? Yeah. Does it, does it actually say, because I don't recall it saying that there had never been a rainbow before. Is that in the Bible or is that a Jehovah's Witness belief? No, that's in the Bible. Yes, definitely in the Bible. The whole meaning of the rainbow was, um, it was a statement, wasn't it? That was yeah. created to be the statement after Noah's Ark. Yeah. Yeah, the God's verse? promised yes. to not wipe out humankind, which he then is trying to now break. No, he, he wouldn't try to wipe out humankind with water. <laughs> with water. He's like, gotcha, suckers. It's fire this time, bitch. <laughs> okay, here it is. Yeah, so it's Genesis ahead. chapter 9, uh, and I think it's worth talking about a bit of this because this is kind of my general topic. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, it, after the flood happens, uh, God says, and this is from the New World Translation, uh, every moving animal that is alive may serve as food for you, just as I gave you the green vegetation, I give them all to you. Uh, only flesh with its life, its blood, you must not eat. So that is where the uh, the blood prohibition comes from but also yes. there's debate about like you know is that the first time animals were allowed to be eaten um probably not because we know that they sacrificed lambs to jehovah but i've heard a lot of witnesses internalize that oh well we won't eat animals in the new system it's not an official teaching it's a thing that people will debate out in service um, yeah, and and there's actually a base for that if you look into it every time that they're in paradise they're eating fruit they're never eating meat yeah, but also Abel sacrificed a sheep. Why would he have sheep if they? And why would he burn it? Give it as a burnt offering if they didn't need it? Because God likes it. 
So, so there's like a lot of room for debate. Witnesses will debate about whether we'll eat animals in the new system. But uh, if you continue reading that chapter nine, mm -hmm. God added, um, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all flesh be destroyed by the waters of a flood. And never again will a flood bring the earth to ruin. And God added, this is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I put my rainbow in the cloud and it will serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring a cloud over the earth, then the rainbow will certainly appear in the cloud. And I will certainly remember my covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature of every kind. And never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the rainbow mm -hmm. will occur in the cloud, and I will certainly see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of every kind on the earth. So, logically, there were no rainbows before. So, of course. maybe logically, there was no rain before. Mm -hmm. And Jehovah's Witnesses take this to an extreme and continue extrapolating off this and eventually decide there was no rain, but the Bible references the mists of the earth. So all the plants must have gotten watered by mist, which I guess must have come every morning. And eventually they come up with this whole idea that like there was no rain and every morning mist came across the earth and watered everything. And that's why climate was more temperate. And that's why uh, there was his fossils under the North in the Arctic. And I believed all that crap. Um, and I tried to like rationalize it a lot and say, oh, maybe that has thrown off some of our scientific measurements. Maybe that is why, um, you know, maybe that's why scientists are, are misnumbering and misaging things. And uh, I remember when I was kind of starting to wake up, we were talking with um, one of Dax's uh, family members who is uh, of the anointed. And, uh, and he told me about the firmament. And I didn't know that we believed that. <laughs> um, because it, it's one of those things that like it was in the older watchtowers and there's a lot of things like this it's in the older watchtowers uh, and then they stop talking about it because they know how dumb it sounds but it still gets taught at Bethel and it still gets passed down in service groups and those so it echoes as a phantom teaching that like is not taught in the platform anymore but is our beliefs and is taught through these social passing downs out in service uh and so, like, once I learned about the firmament, I, like, I did not believe that we believed that. And I had to look it up, and I well, thought that was the dumbest thing. And <laughs> could you talk a little bit more about the firmament specifically? Because you talked about the rain. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, do, you guys, do you guys know what the firmament is? Oh, yeah. Harrison has made a full video about it, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, do you, want me, you do want me to give you the background on the firmament? <laughs> Please. Yeah, so ancient Mesop Mesopotamian mythology had it that there's always... Um, a female goddess who is the goddess of water, especially the sea, so raging seas. And where that is in Mesopotamia, basically the threat to civilization is always water, and it's normally the sea. So it's all symbolic, but essentially you have ancient Babylon, who were one of the closest neighbors to the Israelites. And the Babylonians had the god Marduk, um, which was like a fifth or sixth generation god. And you have one of the original OG gods, uh, Tiamat. And so Tiamat, she wages war with Marduk and Marduk throws a spear in her mouth. It's also got sexual connotations as well, as much as the stuff back then did. Spear into the mouth, um, splits her body in two. Uh, it fillets like a fish, which is why you get in Genesis the splitting of the waters and the waters. So split in two like a fish. And then he uses 
uh, Tiamat's body, half of it on the on the on the land as the sea now, and half of it as the firmament. Um, so then you have Yahweh, which is Jehovah, against the word in Genesis one for firmament, which is Tahom. So it's all related: Tiamat, Tahom, Yahweh, Marduk, God versus God. But of course, they really don't want you to know that. So yeah, Jeho that's that's basically part of what Jehovah's Witnesses believe in. I just wanted to add about the rain. There is a verse that Jehovah's Witnesses used to say there was no rain before. There was only a mist because if you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 5 and 6, it says, Now there was ad, as yet no bush in the field found in the earth and no vegetation in the field uh, was as yet sprouting because Jehovah God had not made it rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But, the text says, a mist would go up from the earth and it watered the entire surface of the ground. So yeah, Peems, that is sort of Bible-based, that they believe that there was no rain before. But yeah, if you take it to its logical conclusion, to which its logical conclusion being the firmament, you can see just how unscientific the whole thing is. Along yeah, the... I learned that we actually believe that there was like a canopy of water in the sky. Like, yeah. Uh, that was that was just too much for me, which is ridiculous because everything was ridiculous. Well, and you had we had talked privately about um, the sun being held in this, like being stopped in the sky for a period of time. Oh yeah, that is also. Uh, I I was I was wanting to pick that, but I was like, no, there's there's a better one. It's it's that. just a brief I, one. Me so, too. I did the exact same thing. So, Peeps, can you touch <laughs> on that? For can we all talk about that for just a second? Oh yeah, let's just before we move on to 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 Dax's point. Yeah, while let's we're just on talk the about weather, how the Bible says that the Earth, Joshua, and the Moon stood still. I, which I think is the most probably the most unscientific thing the Bible has to say. What do you think, Harrison? Is that the most unscientific thing? I. Yeah, it's all just reflective of the time it was written, isn't it? But the sun standing still, it makes sense from their perspective because the sun's not... It's like when Jesus and, and New Testament say about the stars falling to earth. It's like back then it would have made sense. They're little dots in the sky. Yeah. They'll be like chocolate bars landing on us. It would be nothing. But now it's like, come Fireflies. on. I mean, they're, they're a billion <laughs> times the size of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and am. not just that, the fact that um, we would all fall off the earth if everything stood still gravity would no longer be a factor we would just point oh we'd still have gravity but yeah the eh. momentum yeah, yeah momentum keeps us here on the ground maybe they were just in alaska i know during no, the I mean, mass of the, the earth sun causes just... gravity i internalized that about the sun standing still i i talked myself out of that being a problem um i just decided that like god gave everyone the illusion that it was standing still like everyone on that battlefield mm. That, no, that was I, how I justified it to myself. I had a better justification for me because obviously that can't happen, right? So what I learned, I, I was very surprised when I learned that in uh, I think in the in the Arctic, they found in the in the in the ice, they found evidence. They found evidence of, of a supernova. I don't I can't remember how. This was like 10 years ago, but they found evidence of, of a couple of supernovas that happened within like um a few hundred years. It, it didn't line up with the Bible, but I found very interesting that they said that from Earth, it would have looked like a second sun. 
So I rationalized it by thinking, oh, what they saw, it wasn't that the sun was still. No, no, no. It's just they were distracted. And then the sun went down, but there was a supernova. <laughs> and then it looked like a sun. And that's how that sun stood. It's just from the point from Joshua's point of view and then I stopped thinking about it I just I just stopped thinking about it because I knew deep down that it didn't make sense oh man but this uh, is the religious yeah. mindset I, yeah. I use an analogy with with taking things literally and then what apologists will do basically is when you say of course it couldn't happen literally they're like yes I meant figuratively <laughs> and then you say but figuratively it doesn't work and they're like yes but it may have happened once so it's like I scored seven goals today playing football, aren't I the best? You get the score sheet. Well, you didn't score seven goals. Yes, but I cheered the team on to score seven goals. <laughs> you weren't even in attendance. Yes, but in Brazil, there was one football team and they scored seven goals. <laughs> There's it always a way. It has to make sense. Like, no matter what, it has to make sense. What, what's really oh, fun man. to me when I hear, when I'm talking to a witness that... Uh, and there's only been a couple, I've only have a couple people I've been able to talk to that I know aren't going to say anything. Um, but I've been, I when I get them down that after they move the goalpost three or four times, I just ask them, would you give another religion the same leeway? And you just watch them like stumble. I say, would you give the Catholic Church the same leeway? And they're just like, that's offensive. You're hateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Catholic Where Church. Where are you getting this from? Are you getting this from apostates? <laughs> like, they just move the goalpost. But anyway, let's instead of moving the goalposts, let's move to our next topic from Dax. Dax, Hello. what was your unscientific belief that you want to talk about? Okay, about so this is not something I ever really believed um, because every time somebody would try to explain it to me, the explanation didn't seem correct. And so I would just kind of put it on the shelf and go, you know what? It's not important. Um, the de-evolution of humans, that is a very common theme in Christianity, and I'm calling it de-evolution. I think there's actually a term for it, but I'm not going to look it up. And basically it, it is... It's all made up. Yeah, it's the belief that pre-flood humans lived like hundreds of years. And I actually have from... Let me see real quick. I have from um, the Insight on the Scriptures Volume 2, under Lifespan, more about this. So it says... During the pre-flood period, the lifespan approached a thousand years. The people closer to sorry, the people closer to man's original perfection enjoyed greater longevity than those farther removed from it. The longest life on record is that of Meth Methusula, no, Methuselah, Methuselah, who lived nine hundred and sixty-nine years after the flood. The human lifespan dropped rapidly. Some have, theori some have theorized that the year in the times before the flood was just a month long. However, there is no scriptural basis for this view. Had the year been a 30-day month, this would mean that Enosh would have become a father before he was eight years old. And others, such as Kenan, a bunch of names, uh, would have fathered children before they were six years old. And it goes on and on and on. And then at the end, um, it lists the lifespan of all these different biblical characters, right? Um, so Adam, 900, and... Uh, 30 years, Seth 912, Enosh 905. And what it's trying to show is like over time, as you scroll down, the decrease in lifespan until you get to Jacob at 147 years old. And what's funny about this is I did believe that people now were weaker or sicker than people from the past, um, mostly because I had a lot of health problems and you know, we, we talked a bit about this earlier with Harrison about how you can really only view out of your own perspective, especially when you're younger. Um, 
that and a bunch of older people in my hall, if ever I had back pain or was tired, they'd go, oh, psh, you're too young for that. When I was your age, you know, I felt totally like a hundred bucks. And I would say to them, well, that's because you are closer to perfection. Oh. Uh, but I didn't really believe that. I just yeah. wanted them to lay off. And, um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it was like, shut up, it's old like, man. Yeah, you um, just throw them like some bullshit that they're supposed to believe in. And like, <laughs> what are they going to do? No, you're wrong. But if you, so this is something that is a really common belief amongst um, different Christian sects. And what's frustrating about it is it's so, it is such a silly concept and it's so like common amongst mythology and theologies that, you know, as people get deified or become legends, their lifespan increases, right? Um, that there are not, there aren't a lot of secular papers that talk about this specific Christian belief, right? So you can find a bunch of articles from scientists saying that the lifespan was roughly around 22 to 30 years old for people back in that era. But you can't find anything that really talks about the belief that before the flood, people just lived for, well, they don't believe that the flood exists, happened either, but pe that people in this time specifically lived hundreds and hundreds of years. And um, witnesses just kind of take it in stride. They don't think about it. They yeah. think about how in paradise they're going to talk to that person and say, hey, what's it like living for 900 years? It's funny because now you're going to live for forever. Ha 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 ha. It's so cringy. It's bad. You're right. They do talk about uh, Methuselah. How do you say it in, in English? Methuselah? Yeah, Methuselah. I'm the one that I'm the yeah. one that butchered so, it. So <laughs> I I don't know how to say it in, in in English. I only learned it in Spanish. So yeah, it's funny how I I remember being in the congregation and in a meeting, and hearing the speaker say, "Wouldn't like think about Methuselah, think about living longer than him, think about living all of that time, and think about all of those 900 years that you have of difference of different share experience. It'll feel like nothing." And I'm always like, oh, yeah, because because we were perfect. But then Adam and Eve, like Jehovah didn't create more human beings. And then Adam and Eve uh, had to just procreate. And then they had to interbred. And then that's how we lost uh, perfection. No. Because cousins aren't like brothers are supposed oh, no. to be marrying you know that's that's how that's my head canon again i had a very deep head wait canon but i also myself. i also love his brother's talk where he's like isn't it amazing M methuselah lived for so long chump change sucker like <laughs> like you're gonna go track him down in the new world and be like you're nothing <laughs> that's nothing you're 900 something years of existence bs did you believe in that harrison did you believe that that it people lived for hundreds of years before or is that yeah. something that you kind of internalized no I, I always believed it what i found fascinating when i did my nose art video was yeah. i i, I reread it obviously through the lens of skepticism now took my rose tinted glasses off let's open but i remember sitting in the kingdom hall not listening to a word and i would just fold the bible would just fold open in my hand and i would read an old testament uh page at random and one out of every three verses is like oh my god what has been happening all this time? Like, I can't believe I believe this. So I opened it at Genesis 5, and, and the typically people think Noah's Ark is Genesis 6 to 8 primarily. Uh, Genesis 5.32, after Noah reached 500 years of age, he became father to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I remember saying to my dad, because obviously Shem, Ham, and Japheth are the sole surviving offspring 
of Noah and Mrs. Noah that made it on board the Ark. Of course. So Christians will say, well, he had lots of other kids, you know, before Shem, Ham and Japheth. I'm like, well, what are the odds that you have three in a row and all those survived and you maybe have a hundred before and all those died? I think the account meant that those were his three only children. Now, presuming yeah. that you have to, you'd say that at that time in that part of the world, the female would have probably married at 13, 14, the male at about 15, 16. So Noah had been alive, well, married 486 years and he hadn't had a kid. And when I said this to my dad, my dad said, Harrison, you're forgetting something very, very important. He was close to perfection. And you know what that means? I said, what? He said, he had far, far greater control of his reproductive powers. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what it meant. I just, I just took it like, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that's good reasoning. He, he had supernatural abilities. But then when oh I put it in God. my Noah's Ark video, everyone in the comments was like, he was great at pulling out. I was like, is that what my dad meant? <laughs> yeah, you, you Noah was to... just amazing in there. <laughs> No, it was amazing. Yeah, you always, yeah, you always think, oh my god, I wonder what your dad believes in. Does your dad believe that it was just like this Jedi mind trick where he's like, oh, I'm just gonna have sex for the pleasure of it this time for the first 400 so. years? Either that, or, or it's an app or, on the phone where it's just you're like activating sperm and it just yes. turns on pregnancy mode. I don't or know. maybe he was just perfect, <laughs> and he, he he knew exact. He was so close to perfection that he knew exactly when to pull out, and maybe that's it. <laughs> I think I like that one. You know what's interesting? So you mentioned that um, this is a little off topic, uh, that brides would be typically around like 13 to 16, um, which it's more like 14 to 16. I, that's not that big of a difference. But what's interesting, because I Googled it real quick, because I had heard um, s some scholars don't think that's true. In Sparta, they were around 18 to 22, specifically, oh. while the rest of ancient okay. Greece was like getting married a little too young. Um, Spartans, most women didn't get married till they were 18 to 20 and then Spartan men in their mid twenties. So yeah, fun fact. In, in many old civilizations, they'd kind of, uh, bagsy or whatever the terms in America, we call it bagsy here. Basically you bagsy the front seat. So it means you're sitting in it. So you'd bagsy a girl if you saw that she was beautiful at a very young age. So maybe she was turning 10. If you're a member of nobility or something like that, you'd be like, Bagsy Beatrice, and then five years later <laughs> you'd come back. Yep, dibs. Yeah, that's here too. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we call that grooming, but, but sure. <laughs> but but also it was also commonly believed. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for fourteen to fifteen year olds to be married to old men, but typically the the men were like seventeen to twenty. It typically wasn't. We have this idea that women were just being, you know sold off to a bunch of old men and that's all that was happening and those were the only marriages that would happen but that is not true and it's horrifying no they were being given living... away to young men as property no i'm talking about common people not not royalty but imagine living for 500 years as a woman and then you just get married when you're 13 yeah and that really sucks pump kids because that's your whole purpose in the bible to just have children it, uh, it's just oh it's just horrifying that that doesn't sound like a nice existence just hundreds of years of years popping out kids man well that no. topic nicely leads into into my one. Oh yeah go ahead so my give me the full title so it's the most unscientific belief that we once held right 
All right. Yes. Harrison, what is the most unscientific belief you held as a Jehovah's Witness? Okay. It's you're not an animal. Primarily <sighs> okay. reproduction. Uh huh. So it's kind of shifted slightly. Nowadays, if you ask a Jehovah's Witness, are we animals? Some will say yes without realizing what they're committed to. And most people will be like, no, Jehovah created us separate. But you take something such as one man made for one woman. We have Adam and we have the perfect personalized bespoke accompaniment in Eve and we have a man who Jehovah's designed and pumping into his body 54 million sperm an hour or 16 billion sperm a month and we have a woman who's getting one egg and it's like okay this is this is a there's a mismatch here and obviously once you enter into relationships and, and things like that you realize that there is obviously big differences in many things. And one of those things is that guys, if you have 16 million of anything, if you have $16 million, you can afford to get your twenties and go like that and fling them all over the place because you've still got some in the bank. If you have one pound or one egg, you're gonna be very specific about how you spend that. So women, biologically speaking, they need to find a good father because if they spend this one pound, they have to spend it wisely. But for guys, they can just fling 20s in the direction of every woman and hopefully some of the 20s will make them pregnant. And I think that's that's the worst thing that we're taught as a Jehovah's Witness is that you're not an animal, you're imperfect, you're fleshly, all your thoughts are wrong. It leads to sexual repression, it leads to uh, child abuse and it leads to all sort of disgraceful things done because they we can't express our animalistic nature. That's true as a Jehovah's Witness, you are supposed to believe that Jehovah created uh, plants and animals, and as a completely separate thing, he created humans. So we're not uh, that, that. That's why humans get get resurrected, and, and animals don't. Humans are special. Humans were created different. Humans were created at, at God's image. So humans cannot be animals because then we would just be like like just every other creature that li lives around this earth and that that can't happen which is it's kind of funny to me too because i mean we observe in a lot of species um like mating behaviors like male birds will like fluff their feathers and do a little dance to try to attract a mate and we even talk as witnesses about like looking for attractive qualities in a mate and what the, we define what those attractive qualities are and there is no real difference in that right and so it's kind of funny that they can say in some articles, you know, what are the qualities you should look for in a mate? And then say, we're not like the birds who are looking for good qualities in a mate. We're nothing like I, them. Uh, yeah. I, have you ever had those talks where um, like some brother will be on the platform and he'll he'll give a talk about how humans and animals are different, but they'll be like wrong on like half of things. Like there was this one I just remember really clearly. And, and this was not a common one, but this one brother said uh well you know like animals don't really have a sense of love or loyalty and humans do and then he went so far as to say you know like oh you you know you you may think your dog loves you but you put that dog in front yeah. of a bear and it's and you know and and you'll see it doesn't really love you and like i remember what? a witness who was still a believing witness was like that guy's never owned a dog after that talk. <laughs> yeah. Not, not just that. I mean, like. It's so inaccurate. Th they're and ignoring. Weird. They're ignoring lions, elephants. They're ignoring dolphins and their connection to each other. Whales. Like animals have a lot of loyalty to each other. Even if you take humans out of the equation. 
animals and my a dog will die for you or yeah animals arguably feel something some type of emotion and you know we can define it as love where we don't have to but either way you know an elephant grieves when it when another elephant dies crows have funerals like it's so silly to pretend that that humans are the only ones like to try to separate us from animals to the point of pretending that animals do not experience feelings of any kind is really silly but I think that's part of uh, the Christian experience. And I don't want to bash onto, you know, with my atheism or whatever. But I feel part of the Christian experience is to believe that you are unique, that God made you, that God made this planet for you. The universe is made for you, and God has a purpose for you. So, you are in his image. Yeah. You are the only creation. Because, you know, if they do have a point, we, as a, uh, as a design, we are the most advanced being and the most advanced intelligence we've ever seen. We, the most advanced creature, the most at least chemically advanced creature that we've ever seen. And the Christian interpretation of that is yes, because you are made at God's image. Just, just like ignore all of the all of the bad bits, like how women are really not supposed to um, give birth the way that they do because it's like super painful. We were talking about this before, uh, or before we, we, we started. Yeah. Their, their explanation for our, for painful childbirth, not being because our evolutionary traits favored um, intelligence over other physical traits. And uh, instead it's just a curse from God. It's a feature. It's a reminder. It's a feature. It's not a because reminder. you're right. You're right. It's just a reminder. It's not. It's not a curse. It's a, it's a reminder. reminder. It's he, just to remind you. Did, a, did Adam dirty? So you have to suffer. It's yeah. just. It's imperfection. Like what? What is God going to do? Not put that feature in afterwards? Come on, don't be. Yeah, understand. and like, and like, and like, what's he going to do? <laughs> Punish the man for being dumb and deceived? Come on, oh, no. So just the woman. Gosh, how do you think it affects uh, the psyche of, of a Jehovah's Witnesses, though, uh, to to think that they're not animals, Harrison? I've talked... The, the only topic of... Uh, that's plagued me since I left the religion is eating meat and the treatment of animals. Uh, I'm set on everything else. I'm an agnostic atheist. It's pretty simple. Life's here. Life goes. But how we treat other animals... I, I came out, I went vegan, vegetarian, meat eater, back to vegan, vegetarian, meat eater. And you try and have a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness or, or anyone about this topic. And it's just, oh, no, no, God said we could eat animals. Oh, God, <laughs> God said we could eat animals. There's no depth. There's no, no feeling for any other animals. Right. Um, and then you come out and you talk to other people. You can have a proper conversation because we're all linked into this tree of life. What right do we have to take other animals' life? It, you have to get to the point where I'm at now, and, and I'm open to probably changing this in future if I decide to go vegan again with enough persuasion. But at the moment and over the last six months, I've just had to hold my hands up. And this is a very difficult thing to do when you view yourself as kind of like a virtuous, kind person and say, yeah. I am a selfish animal. <laughs> uh, when I eat a steak, when I ate a steak for the first time after being vegan for about nine months, it was orgasmic. <laughs> it was that level because I, tra I train at the gym and my body whether I yeah. like it or not is craving 
uh, everything contained, especially in red meat, white meat, white meat, not so much, but the metals in red meat, the creatine, the blood, my brain, it was like, um, it was like a limitless where Bradley Cooper has the pill and it's just like unlocking another level. <laughs> and so I just had to admit in, in the past, I would have no problem with humanity eating animals, which is what they did. If the four of us existed uh, a thousand years ago, we would just eat animals Yeah, because that that's fine. The problem that I identified it as was I disagree with modern techniques of keeping animals and rearing animals. That's yeah. what I hate. So what can I do to make that better? Well, it's to respect the fact that we're animals. And it's to, if you're going to eat meat, if you're going to admit and hold your hands up that you're selfish, try and get produce from uh, sellers, farms, where you know the life was at least okay, that they yeah. weren't suffering every single day before the day of their execution. Yeah. So I think that's that's a big thing for me. And and once you realize you're an animal, just to kind of go full circle on this on this little section, once you realize you're an animal and you can talk to an another agnostic atheist, such as your partner, if you're in a relationship, and you can say, the reason I am the way I am is because these are my closest uh, ancestors uh, in terms of other species. This is their behavior. This may help to explain why my behavior is similar. Because I think Jehovah's Witnesses, every young male Jehovah's Witness will grow up thinking, I'm some sort of extreme pervert. <laughs> Sorry, it, I shouldn't laugh at that. It's just, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's, in the it's congregation, true. Everyone in the congregation is married. They've been married 20, 30 years. They're very content. And you're there with this raging sex drive as a young man. And it's like, well, clearly I'm a sex addict. Yes. Clearly I'm, well, I'm just an extreme anomaly. I, I would yes. like to add that that is not even exclusively a male thought. Like for a woman in the organization, anytime you have any sort of like sexual thought, you just think that you are Babylon. The, like you are the whore of Babylon. You are. You are. Oh, you are Jezebel. The name of the show. You are like... <laughs> You you're you are all of the terror. You're. I used yeah. to think to myself, "Don't be like Dinah, man, the thirteen-year-old who got raped by an old man." How come all of her podcasts somehow lead to sexual repression? How they don't? This is, this is the theme. No, they don't. Well, I want to. I want to interrupt. I, I love talking about talk about women's experience myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to mansplain, so you might say. Uh, no, uh, actually, I wanted to talk about. Um, Jenny uh, Bones and Bloom, uh, she on, on Twitter, she's Bones and Bloom. She uh, did this this article that really a blog post that really affected me, where she talked about women's experience, about how women are in in the organization. They're expected to be this super virtuous, like asexual, like prim and proper woman uh, that that does everything right. And then the moment they get married, they are supposed to flip a switch and be um, you know, like up for sex all the time. And so like, there's this drastic, like you have to be like asexual. You have to not flirt. You have to not show any skin. You have to not be sexy ever and well, and until the day you get married. And now you have to be sexy for your husband. And if you don't do a good enough job, that's your fault. And uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, as men, you're kind of told to suppress that those um, natural feelings, right? It's more of a suppressive thing because for a woman, it's if you have it at all, something is wrong with you. Like there is actually something legitimately wrong with you. If you are not married and you experience any kind of like arousal, there is something actually wrong with you. And it's not a suppression thing. It's a you're disgusting thing. And it's 
really annoying. But we so. can go even deeper in this unscientific beliefs that Jehovah's Witnesses have because I was watching a video uh, by the Blue Envelope channel. He, the, Blue Envelope, the Blue Envelope is amazing. I, uh, I mentioned the Blue Envelope in my last video because it, he just takes the, the, the most amazing topics of, uh, about Jehovah's Witnesses that no one's talking about. And he was mentioning how Jehovah's Witnesses used to believe that human perfection will mean that even sexual urges are contained and that sexual urges are only there to reproduce. So sex is there just to reproduce and a perfect human being in the paradise would only have sexual urges when they need to reproduce. And yeah. once we don't need to reproduce, we will end up melding into this asexual being that has no need for sexual organs. We'll be and spirit creatures like on earth. Ultimate, yeah, that is the ultimate a human being it's just we if if we have any animalistic tendencies at all it's not because we are we are close to animals it's our human imperfection but but all of that will get solved you don't have to have yes. sex for fun in the paradise what is that yeah could you imagine um i mean nowadays if if you're in a relationship and you look at another woman in leggings you're going to get a death stare off your partner and be like why were you looking at her imagine in the new system millions of naked women just walking around you'd literally have to just stare at this up at the stars all day if you didn't want to be in the doghouse it's fine it's fine because but jehovah's witnesses believe apparently that your penis is going to fall off so no one's going to notice it don't worry <laughs> if we're all going to be like kendall's down there how how, how are you going to get aroused no one's going to notice but and I, that... I need i need the i need the watchtower reference for my penis is going to fall off <laughs> That's a video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> citation needed. We're, we're going to have to put citations at the, at the end of this episode. I would like Dax to read this. Okay. Um, from the first wait, paragraph. Wait. What? Uh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to have on, someone who's not a male reading something. That's this is. Uh, yeah. This make is sure you put on your head covering. Uh, yeah. Okay. You have a head covering around. Please. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah. Better. You have, to be, you have to be in subjection. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Um. So this Which is the, part? the Watchtower 1968, um, 7.15, and it's asking, was there an Earth-wide flood? It talks about yes. And then there's this bit about the source of the waters, and it talks oh about... Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, okay. I see it. Yeah, uh, go ahead and go ahead and read this. Obviously, the source of the floodwaters was not the moisture that it ordinarily found... That is ordinarily found in the atmosphere today. For it has been estimated that if all the atmospheric water were suddenly released as rain, it would cover the Earth's surface only to an average depth of less than two inches. There must be another explanation then for all this water, and the Bible gives it. And it's brief. So they just admitted that the flood couldn't, it was yes. not possible. Yeah, awesome. Obviously, it couldn't have happened without <laughs> other waters. I think you, you, you mentioned that well, in your video, right? Harrison? Let's let's see how they how they justify water? it. See, the Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses have a justification they, for it. I don't know why you were yeah. all pissed about it. Yeah, here's their, here's their, their justification. In its brief account of creation, the Bible says regarding the forming of Earth's atmosphere, and God went on to say, let an expanse come to be in between the waters and let a dividing occur between the waters and the waters. Then God proceeded to make the expanse and to make a division between the waters that should be beneath the expanse and the waters that should be above the expanse. 
the waters beneath the atmospheric expanse were the waters on the surface of the earth, whereas the waters above the expanse were vast quantities of moisture suspended high above the earth, evidently in the form of a heavy vapor. These waters surrounded our earth in its early history. I just, There's I no proof out, of I this. I can't remember who it was that said this, but um, basically any time the watchtower is about to lie, they use the word evidently first. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Evidently, evidently is, is a clear word. indicator. Yeah, it's a giveaway that they're about to speculate out their asses. Well, not just evidently, obviously, likewise today. You read, you read um, Charles Taze Russell's studies in the scriptures, and there's frequently, evidently, this means that. And it's like, have they been, like, are they, do they study the work of Charles Taze Russell? I didn't think Jehovah's Witnesses do, but clearly they do. They're oh. just stealing his techniques. <laughs> Jeez. Evidently. Um, okay, <laughs> so are... you don't need to read all of this, but they go on to like talk about how uh, the you know where these waters must have been. Uh, we don't know the exact height or the way the water. How did they recede? Where did they go? The they flood came down, came down, down the flood. <laughs> yeah, and so, then what happened? Stay right, on the earth. So continue, continue from here. Where? Okay, the, the but sea. a person. The... But, a person might observe, such a canopy of water suspended above the Earth would greatly affect Earth's climate. Indeed it would. The light and heat rays from the sun would be diffused by the vapor camp canopy, while this vast canopy would prevent heat from escaping. Such a greenhouse effect would thus produce a milder, more uniform climate Earth-wide. Biologist Harold K. Bloom explained this effect of water vapor upon climate, saying, Just as a warm... Okay. It's probably a misquote anyways. Uh, the Earth's climate was uniformly warm at one time, is commonly recognized. In an article concerning dinosaurs, Scientific Monthly of August 1949, 1949, a scientific article from 1949. In those days, the Earth had a tropical or subtropical climate over much of its land surface, and in the widespread tropical lands, there was an abundance of lush veget vegetation. The land was low, and there was no high mountains forming physical or climac climatic climactic <laughs> barriers. Of okay, the now frigid, yeah, this is a basically lot. rant. They're going to rant about how um, the water vapor would have made everything warmer, and that's why there was plants in Antarctica. Um, then, go ahead and read this bit. What tremendous changes occurred in Earth's surface with the fall of this vast canopy of water? This immense. Sorry, this immense weight of water apparently caused a shifting and buckling of Earth's relatively thin crust. Thus, new mountains were thrust upward, old mountains rose to new heights, shallow sea basins were deepened, and new shorelines were established. And, too, the sudden fall of his canopy and the tremendous upheavals of Earth would create great waves of rushing water, accomplishing in a matter of days what many scientists believe took millenniums of time to occur by slow processes uh -huh. of erosion. Mighty torrents of water carved out deep valleys and huge canyons. Monstrous boulders were smashed together and moved great distances from their native setting. Like so many pebbles, even Noah in his art could not survive this. Yeah, that, that's uh, so that's all I wanted to read. Like, basically, like, yeah. you could be in a submarine and not survive this. So, There's, this is not a survivable event. No, but this created the mountains. Uh, this created the mountains. And, and the, the mountains, like, even if that you know, was... You know, you know the, the the big the big cannon. What's what's the name of that thing you have in the United States? The Grand States? Canyon. That one. You know the <laughs> Grand Canyon. That that's only four thousand six hundred years old because that's a, that's that's when it happened. That's All those planes carved happened. out by glaciers. So those are just like yeah, that's just Noah's flood. It just it just the deluge. Wow. I have never read this, but thank you so much for for bringing this up because I knew that Jehovah's Witnesses believed in this, but I had never actually read this. And you can read this in jw.org you can still read it today jehovah's witnesses have access to this 
And they yeah. use it for their talks. The article is called, Was There an Earthwide Flood in the 1968 uh, Watchtower 715? One of um, the first things you learn in college is recency of the articles that you're looking at. So you can use older articles for when you are talking, when you were comparing like priorly, prior held scientific beliefs or whatever, right? But you cannot use an article, f even in 1968, you could not use an article from 1949, a scientific article, in a paper and have it be legit. There is a, there's a recency problem. And not to mention, um, the article that they were quoting from said things in absolutes. And scientific articles do not use absolutes unless it's math. It's never an absolute. They never state this and this because this. And it's just the way it is. And obviously, the, the whole world was covered in lush stuff. It's never that black and white. It's, and we believe, or this has led us to the conclusion that possibly, you know, like, there's no hard... I, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like Jehovah's Witnesses only... Jehovah's Witnesses believe that their interpretation is the right interpretation. Um, they only deal in absolutes, yeah, and they like only use out... And they only, yes, and they only use out-of-date sources and only use sources that support their beliefs. And all of it is super unscholarly. And I hate it. What are you talking about? So you say you, I can't just say sci some scientists say and then a random quote? That, that, that doesn't qualify as, no. as, a, as, as a good scientific standard? It's, it's not up to scientific standards to just say some scientists believe? No. I, you know, I think that when you... Um... I think this is fascinating, the entire dynamic around this. And I want to do a separate episode on what I like to call Jehovah's Witness phantom beliefs. Um, because things like this, they know how dumb it sounds. And they've stopped publishing it in the magazines. But they've never retracted. And I believe, I might be wrong, I've never been to Bethel. But I believe that Bethelites still like study all the full like idea of Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs and, and these things. Um but the average witness is never going to read this in print. These things were our beliefs. They were never retracted. And the average witness that knows them learns them by word of mouth. There is a yeah. lot of Jehovah's Witness beliefs that are passed down in service groups, that are passed down after meetings. And this is one of them. Like Every witness who knows this has been taught it by someone. Because nobody's going back and reading 1968 Watchtowers. And it's yeah. not in current publications. But it is our belief, and people would teach you in service, and then you'd look it up later, and and then you'd have to incorporate it. And there, there was, there's a ton of things like that. There's a ton of, of stories or old beliefs that are only passed down on a one-to-one -one oral manner and not in our publications anymore. That will be a great uh, idea for another topic. But well, while we're still in this topic, I like to bring out my most unscientific belief that I hold on as as. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, and that is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm not, I know that this is just a cup out, but I, I promise that I'm not just going to stop there. I actually do have a point, because in Genesis, if you read the Genesis account, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that after those famous uh, first words, which Let's be honest. Those are pretty good ways of uh, uh, th that's a pretty good way of opening a book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty solid opening, if you ask me. But then it goes into the process that God went into creating the heavens and the earth. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe that this is a scientifically 
accurate process. So let's just, uh, to, to introduce why I picked this, this topic, uh, I would like to bring you back with me. Imagine I was, uh, I don't know, it's in the past, so I guess I'm younger, and um, I'm dating this girl who happens to not be a Jehovah's Witness, right? So we're hanging out with her friends, and uh, we're at dinner. It's kind of late, and a guy uh, is one of those, like, big atheists, like, very outspoken atheists, like, you know, you know, those assholes. So... Uh, I'm saying those hassles because that's that's obviously me now. So he he starts saying how Genesis is obviously bad and blah blah blah, and it's it, it how it's obviously a terrible account, and asked me how how I could believe in that stuff, and I made him open the Bible on his phone, and I preached to him each apologetic of every verse in the Bible because I had memorized it. I was like, look, this happened like this. And this, you know, when this happened in the earth, this this means this and that. So, um, yeah, that girlfriend and I, we're not together anymore. Uh, but I just look back at that time and I just, I just cringe so hard. So I thought, why not bring our listeners into this journey where they can just cringe along and just as I explain to you what 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 we be, used to believe just 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 think about this guy like this young guy desperately trying to impress his worldly girlfriend and maybe trying to uh, get her into the religion saying stuff like look Genesis 1 uh, 1 chapter 3 to 5 says and God said let there be light then there was light. After that, God saw that the light was good. And God began to divide the light from the darkness. God call, called the light day. Uh, but the darkness, he called night. This is me uh, talking about as, as a Jehovah's Witness. This, this makes sense if you're standing on the earth. You see, it's the Bible is written in a human perspective. So if you had been standing on the earth, you would have seen that God made light reach Earth's surface, which resulted in night and day cycles. It's not like, you know, God just created night and day, obviously, evidently. That's not the case. Evidently, the Earth was here before. It's just talking about how the clouds kind of cleared for the very first time. And for the very first time, there was a night and day cycle. Then, in, in verses 6 through 8, it says what, what we just read about the expanse between the waters and the division between the waters and the waters. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses back then believed that this was like the canopy and whatever. The official teaching that I was aware of and that I defended because it was less ridiculous, although not by that much, was that God formed an expanse or a division between the waters on earth surface and water high above its surface which means the clouds you know genesis 1 through 6 to 8 it just it just means the clouds so before there were clouds on earth and then god made clouds from the ocean and then clouds started existing so far this makes perfect sense don't you don't you think we we've only uh, we've already started this is the day two. This, sorry yeah that, so it sounds like clouds are created twice 
Yes, but but this is this is the day two. This is this is the day two in the creation account. So remember, day one, God makes night and day. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that that is because on Earth you couldn't see the sun in this prehistoric pre prehistoric time. You couldn't see the sun because there was there was so many gases and clouds. And then in the day two, God create God, God creates clouds. But this time, there are clouds from vapor, you see. Like the, the clouds from before, there are other kinds of clouds that we don't have anymore. They're prehistoric <laughs> times, you know. The, the, there prehistoric are dinosaur clouds. clouds. Yeah, of course. There are dinosaur clouds, you know. Mm -hmm. You know how we say that that clouds is it's in shape of a dinosaur? That was an actual dinosaur back then. So yeah. who knows how things worked back then. And then in day two, that's when, that's when the clouds come in. Like real clouds. But it's, it's interesting to see that even in this new propaganda, says God formed an expanse or division. There's still room over there for interpretation. It doesn't say necessarily this is when clouds were made. It's just an expanse that they make. So I just find that, I find that super interesting. So they, we, go, we, we go to the third day of creation. Third day of creation is in Genesis, between, uh, Genesis 1, from 9 to 13. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be collected together into one place and let the dry land appear. So before that, we didn't have any dry land. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, but the collecting of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good because God has to seize things and be like, I am perfect, but he, he I, I just picture him like <laughs> looking back, like just take, yeah. taking a couple of steps back and, and be like, is this, huh? is this, is it, yeah, it looks good for me. It looks good from here, right, Jesus? Jesus agrees. So then we move forward. Then God said, let the earth cause grass to sprout, seed bearing plants and fruit trees according to their kinds, yielding fruit along with seed on the earth. And it was so. So now we have plants. And isn't that how life begun? Life begun with plants. How could the Bible know this in advance? It says here. I mean, yeah, we know. We know it. They didn't yield fruits like we know. We, we have them now uh, because that was just after years of controlled evolution. I mean, um, the other cultivation, word that cultivation. Yeah. <laughs> but see, so so far, this is scientifically accurate. And then it keeps saying. And the earth began to produce grass. Oh, sorry, I, I, I read that. And there was an evening. There was a morning, a third day. So see, we close the third day with only plants being created. Well, God makes dry land appear first because at first there's only water. But there's vegetation. And you can see so far how if you're inclined to... Do what I do. No, if you're inclined to do what I do and just kind of like read, like skim over the articles, this would make sense. You'd be like, the Bible does say that vegetation came first. And that's what scientists say. So we're not that far along from what scientists say. Yeah. I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? Before we move in on to the, the, the final three days, what do you guys think so far? Does this sound legit? If I was do a witness, I, I would have, have agreed chance? with you. Yeah, but do I have a chance? I would have been doing that, that dumb to... Yeah. <laughs> I would have been doing that. Oh, uh huh? Yeah. Oh man, I, I, I just. 
you know, I just just keep remembering. I am like 20. This is the first girlfriend I've ever had. And this guy is just trying to talk and he, he he's just looking at me. And I just I just remember him so looking deep. at me. No, he was looking at me and I remember that he was speechless. And now I'm like, yeah, he, oh, man, he was <laughs> speechless, wasn't he? Yeah, I would be speechless too. Like, why do you reply to this? <laughs> No, no, I'm thinking back to all the speechlessness I've caused. <laughs> oh, it hurts. <laughs> anyway, let's just go th through the last three days of creation. Day four. I'm not going to read the scripture. Day four, it just says that God then, once he made vegetation, he made the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, I, I, know, I know that this is what it says here. It says that it made the, the, the sun and the moons and stars in this in, in day four. What Jehovah's Witnesses say is that he made them visible. So Well, they were covered before, up by that great body of water. Exactly. They were covered by this great body of water. There is this great body of water because remember, there's everything's is setting in it's gearing up for the paradise. All of the dinosaurs are, re are, are re about to appear to, I guess, prep for 65 years the earth uh, for the paradise. And then God creates, and this I am going to read. It says, then God said, let the, water, let the water swarm with living creatures. And let flying creatures fly above earth across the expanse of the heavens. This was very compelling to me as a Jehovah's Witness. Because we have that plants are created first, and then we have that animals in the water are created. And that's, again, kind of scientifically accurate. It sounds like it makes sense. Of course, flying creatures didn't move like immediately. It's not like aquatic life and then flying creatures and then the earthly creatures. Yeah, nothing's that black and white, but... Yeah, uh, because that's that's what Genesis says. But Jehovah's Witnesses have a way of highlighting these bits uh, where it kind of sort of fits with what scientists have to say. And they're like, see, like this bit, this bit fits. And then this other bit, uh, that's symbolic. Um, yeah, if it doesn't fit, it's symbolic. <laughs> But we don't it's believe in symbolism, like, but it is yeah, symbolic. symbolic or prophetic. Yeah, it's it's a parable. Uh... <laughs> Everything fits if you just change the meaning of all the words. Yeah. And, and finally, in day six, God, in, in, in day six or sixth or day, I don't know, day M or whatever, God creates land animals and humans. So God first created birds and then land animals. Don't think too much about it. But then he creates land animals and humans. And that is sort of, again, how things came to be created. Land animals came, and then humans came. So I extrapolated this and started believing, okay, how can I believe? Like, so far, so far, so good. So far, the Bible says that God creates first, like, the, 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 the aquatic creatures, and then, like, plants, and then, like, okay, everything sort of makes sense. But then... We know for a fact that there were humans like 20,000 years ago, right? And we know for a fact, like I, I was, it got to the point where evolution was just so evident to me 
that I couldn't justify this. I couldn't justify just believing on, on Adam, just believing that Adam just created and there were no humans before. Yeah. So I had the ultimate Jehovah's Witness, non unscientific belief as a Jehovah's Witness that I had, that is the only way that I was able to internalize this belief. I believed that evolution was right. Deep down, I, I knew, I, I knew it, it just made sense. Whoa. I knew evolution was right, but evolution went all the way until humans and then human-like creatures started appearing, you know, like all of the like Homo paleolithicus or whatever, like all of those appeared, but those aren't humans yet. They aren't humans yet. They're only human until 4,000 years ago when, when God grabs one of them called Adam, and one of them called Eve, of this, of this like super ancient human kind of human-like kind of creatures. That's when humans. they, yeah, that's when they become humans. That's when they stop being animals and becoming humans. And that's when they get the paradise. That's how I believed in, in evolution in evolution ish how you square and it. how i like my mental gymnastics to believe in the six days of creation and isn't it nice that it kind of ties into what what we were saying before like we, we we didn't plan this but yeah it actually believing that humans are not animals was a huge part of in that apologetic for me even yeah, though that's not a, an official around. jehovah's witness speech but come on i oh, mean God. if we were jehovah's witnesses and I was like explaining this to you, like this theory. Wouldn't you be like, oh, wow, yeah, you're yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, I was the person that told worldly people who were like, no, evolution's real. I was like, yeah, God could have created evolution. You know, I had my own thing, and mine is really weird and unusual. Um, I think for most people, like they do what you did, where they, like, they don't think too hard about it, and they try to square it, right? And I, I did this, it's really bizarre, but I started self-teaching myself a lot of computer science for fun. I, I wasn't really intending to pursue it as a career because I just liked programming, but, you know, I didn't want to, like, be pursuing careers and everything in the world. Um, and so, like, I, I watched some pirated uh, college class sessions. I started programming. And then I started learning about machine learning. Um Machine learning is based on a lot of evolutionary principles where you literally like design your program to change itself randomly and then only keep the changes that are beneficial toward a metric. And then uh, eventually you've got a program that writes itself uh, by evolving through multiple thousands of generations. So like I started reading papers about it. I started learning evolutionary principles. I started learning about evolution, but I, I was only doing it because like, I wanted to learn about machine learning and programming and code. And so, like, I started, um, what's the term? I started, like, having a partition in my brain um, where I, 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 like, I segregated my thoughts on evolution. And I learned all about it because I needed to know how they thought it worked to be able to use those principles. But I didn't have to believe it. So, like, I formulated an entire set of beliefs because I would read scientific papers and i read stuff that talked about evolution. And, like, okay, this is how they think it works and I got to develop that entire full worldview, but I don't actually think it's real. I just need to know how they think it works. And then I have my witness viewpoints. And then like, I would just switch between one or the other, depending on what I was reading. It, it's very, very weird to actually look, look back on that. And 
realize that I was doing that. And so, like, the day that, like, I decided, oh, no, I think this is all fake, I had a fully built-up worldview just ready to flip to. Whereas I think for most people, like, once they realize that it's not true, they have to go back and, like, learn about evolution. I was like, oh, I've had all this cognitive dissonance between these two different models in my head, and now I can just discard one and flip to the other. And it was pretty easy. I, I was very lucky that I did not have the kind of witness parent that was like, you can't learn about evolution. Because she was kind of like, you already believe it in the organization, so if this is going to knock you out of it, then, you know, that then your faith isn't that strong. So she really, like, let us learn about whatever the hell we wanted. <laughs> And, I mean, uh, to be fair, she just didn't teach you anything, and so that—that's how she. Yeah, but once we were at, <laughs> once we did get to school, like she, she didn't. There was no bars on anything, you know. And so I didn't really realize that a bunch of witness kids weren't allowed to even learn about evolution. Oh, I mean, Pokemon has evolution, and it's you can't play that. No, True. but that's because Pokemon is po pocket demons. Pocket demons. So that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. What, what do you think, Harrison? I, I saw you were preparing Researching. and talking points i'm all here i'm all here ready i just wanted to buy my time <laughs> oh yeah I, go ahead i think there's a couple of things like so so initially when you said in the beginning i thought that's probably the worst place to start in terms of the most unscientific things because it's something that you can't prove or disprove of but then as you went as you went on i kind of understood where you're coming from the order of creation so that was just the starting point so i remember i'm not sure i'm gonna this isn't gonna be good for a podcast but i'm holding up page 37 of the book life how did it get here by evolution or creation and you oh, have a guy boy. blindfolded with 10 uh dice but they ha they're numbered in order so you have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten and in the paragraph it says the genesis account lists 10 major stages in this order a beginning a primitive earth light expanse etc 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 to finally number 10 man science agrees that these stages occurred in this general order what are the chances that the writer of Genesis just guessed this order? The same as if you've picked at random the numbers 1 to 10 from a box, drew them in a consecutive order. The chances of doing this on your first try are 1 in 3.628.8 million. So to say that the writer just happened to list the foregoing events in the right order without getting the facts from somewhere else is not realistic. Now, I think for me, as, you, as you're going through... I mean, there's been a couple of topics tonight. It's like you guys designed this podcast for me because uh, <laughs> my little Pimo with the firmament, whatever you were bringing on screen, I'd studied it to hell for for um, waking up and then preparing the Noah's Art video. And this topic as well, it's JW Caleb with the um, two creative days side by side with each other. That was the topic of my last video. Yeah. But this, this was a good video. Life thank you. Thank you. I so much effort into that i needed like four months off afterwards <laughs> <laughs> this this book life how did it get here by evolution or creation i i was being taught evolution at school and it made sense and that's dangerous yeah. so while at my mum's my dad said here you go a bit like uh dax your your mum like not afraid like of course it's the they should have been though shouldn't they yeah they should have been afraid but my dad gave me this i read it at my mum's in bed um I'd go to sleep and I read it front to back three times because I was so determined that to make this it make would... sense yeah this I needed it to be set in stone this has to be yeah. the foundation yeah. that I can build on but it never was a firm foundation because I always had doubts but it was this topic and, and I used this order of creation and the odds against it um, happening first time in my public talk 
Uh, I did three public talks, but I only really did one. Um, and that was Evidence of God in the World Around Us, where I'm talking them all all over the place because I just get referrals because people would love it so much. And it's obviously very flattering, but I look back now and I'm like, oh my God. Because I actually, I actually put this exact thing on the screen and everyone was like, oh, he's using the screen because back then it was innovative. <laughs> yep. Um, they loved it. But yeah, I, I mean, I used to say like, as this paragraph says, the odds of doing this on your first try, choosing the order one to ten yeah. off three point two, but then you break it down. You're like, okay, they've put a beginning as number one. Now you're not going to have a beginning at the end. Okay, so we can take a million off the odds yeah. of that happening. Yeah. What have they put next? Okay, they've put dry land before humans. Now try putting a human in the sea and see how long he survives. Okay, and so then you work it out. There's maybe two or three that could have been in a different order. Okay, yeah. so the odds of that are like 60 to 1 or something like that, 50 to 1. Yeah, um, birds didn't come before land animals, obviously. <laughs> but hey, again, again, um, it's still, I mean, the way that I would think about it was, ah, it's still pretty impressive though. I mean, they got most of it, right? Yeah. Oh, it was impressive. All, all, you need, all you need as a Jehovah's Witness is for something to be mostly right. And then the last bit, like the last Truthy. 5% that doesn't make sense. Yeah, the last 5% that doesn't make sense, you can just shrug it off to human imperfection mm -hmm. or to our current limited understanding or to who cares? We're going to be living paradise. Don't you want to live in paradise? Don't you want to see everyone again? Why are you worrying about this? And that's how I wanted to close this, this podcast. Why do you think that Jehovah's Witnesses can believe all of these ridiculous beliefs without blinking in the whichever year this year is. What what do you think, Dax? Um, I mean, I think you summed it up pretty well. They get most they they get like they're like seventy five percent right, and then that other fifteen percent is or twenty five percent is just so wrong, and um. But they can set it aside because at least 75% of it's correct or or feels correct or seems correct, right? And, for example, the let's let's go back to disfellowshipping for a second. The idea that you could, that disfellowshipping is a loving arrangement, right? That's 75% true from the perspective of a witness. You still feel a twinge of guilt for doing it, but it is mostly true in your little world. Um, and so you can discard the rest because to you, nothing else is 75% true, Right. And because you're working off of the parameter that there is a creator, so there's no way that evolution is random. That means that evolution, which, you know, uses its own <laughs> separate uh, structure mechanism. and mechanism, yeah, mechanism, um, is going to seem wrong to you. And so it's very easy. And that, and I mean, your question was, um, how do witnesses in this day and age, 2022, how do they justify believing in some of these beliefs? I don't think they do anymore. I think the ones that are mostly left are people that are, and part of my friends here, are half-assed witnesses who are in it because they're in it and there's no way out of it. Or people who are okay with pulling the wool over their eyes. Because I can't believe for even a second that every single witness that is currently a witness believes in it 100%. I can't. You're saying they want their ears tickled? Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. And it's not because they particularly like it. It's because the consequences of leaving are so bad. Well, but we yeah, didn't I, believe I really... it 100%. I don't think anyone can believe. Joe, but what kept Joe you for so long? Theology. 
that it mostly to me at surface level it made sense and the one thing that i never questioned that i never ever had the even the the imagination to question was is this what i'm reading in the watchtower is this wrong can this be wrong to me i had a certain future in paradise and i had this list of things that i had to do and this list of things that i had to believe for me to enter paradise so when i looked into this it wasn't like okay does this make sense or anything no 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 i was like okay what am i what am i supposed to believe in uh, so i can explain this to other people but also so i get to paradise like what tell me what i'm supposed to believe in so you don't really think about it critically you are instructed to just look into it read it and believe it you're allowed to have questions but just just the one time do you think that is a lot more challenging um for women to do because a lot of the doctrine and witness policies negatively affect women everything's more challenging for women to do well no i mean like like really though because i never ever ever fully believed the watchtower Mm -hmm. i was like it's written by man man is in humankind and therefore it's imperfect which therefore i really believe the witnesses when they were like we're not infallible we can mess up and so when I read articles that I didn't like, that I didn't agree with, I was like, that brother at Bethel must be a little woo Um, And so I'm just not going to believe that. And I will just not talk about it. And so did you guys have anything like that that kind of kept you in, in a sense? Because you were willing to be like, well, this is written by men, so it must kind of be like, you know, eh, that's a little outdated. It must have been written by an older guy or something or like an older woman. And you're able to kind of shelve it. Because that kept me in for a very long time. I wasn't good at doing that to the watchtower, but I was really good at doing that to speakers, like a random speaker. If he said something like, yeah. oh, well, I know that's not very scientific. I could just be like, well, oh, that's just Joe, you know? You didn't yeah. view watchtowers as like an extension of a speaker because it's no, all written I, I by brothers and sisters. I view the watchtower as absolute. And I definitely don't want to like take anything away from you uh, when I say this, but like I, I do feel like part of your parents neglect uh also include like they didn't drill into you the same fear of questioning that they did for me because my my parents made me feel like i have all the answers right here and yeah. also like if i question anything that's questioning all of it so well, i never like, questioned any of this out loud watcher was absolute in my mind yeah hmm. absolute for for like 10-ish years <laughs> What about yeah, you? Harrison? You go by more than ten, yeah. and it's not absolute. What are, yeah, yeah, Harrison. What about you? I th- it was the Watchtower was absolute, and the speakers weren't absolute. Um, there's this thing: if you can see someone, it, it transforms them. They're just a human being, like your experience with with me today. I'm a human being, but if you if you haven't met someone, it's like, oh, it's them. Oh, that's. The- you put them on this some this weird sort of pedestal, and that's what we did with the governing body, and that's why it was so absolutely detrimental when they started the broadcast. I, I know oh, where I'm. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's here. something about reading. There's something about, about reading the instructions for wise, I and mean, there's something about seeing an old stupid man say it. Yeah. Not that old it, people are all stupid, just that these old people are stupid. It, it was just the fact that we presumed 
really, really studious intellectual yes. older guys would meet together. They'd pull yes. apart the scriptures and then they'd give us our bread and we would take it. And then we realized, oh, it's, yeah, it's just a bunch of people who don't really care too much about what the Bible says. It's more about the doctrine of the organization. And I think when you read Crisis of Conscience, it really comes out that they cared much more about watchtowers and previous watchtowers than they did about the Bible. And in elders meetings, you have a Bible verse. The Bible verse might say, you can't eat chocolate. And so an elder will say, guys, we shouldn't be eating chocolate. We, the Bible says we can't eat chocolate. Well, the watchtower of 2014 says that it's a conscience yeah. issue. It's like, oh, okay, no, the, oh, the watchtower, the governing body have spoken. So it's, yep. even if the Bible explicitly states that something is right or wrong, if the Watchtower says a contradictory opinion, what do you choose? You choose Watchtower over the Bible. It's true, because the Watchtower is the interpretation of the Bible. It's the right, yeah. right interpretation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. If you have another interpretation, that is wrong. Which You're is dumb, because the, the Watchtower right. also constantly prints retractions. Yeah, yeah well, I, 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 think, I think the way but... witnesses look at it is that, like, the Bible is the Constitution, and the Watchtower is the Supreme Court's rulings on it. Yeah. So, like, the Supreme Court can go back and change a prior ruling and be like, we got this wrong, and that's okay, and now the most recent thing is what is law. Um, but I... the Supreme Court rulings are, like, the interpretation of the Constitution. So you you don't have to, like, if something is recent, you don't have to go back and look all the way to the Constitution. You'd be like, okay, the Supreme Court already debated this, decided this, this is what we go with. I have an even better uh, example, not not that your example was was bad, but in comparison, your example. Yeah, is boo. You're my example. You mean the, the guy that's not my... from America doesn't like my American uh, politics? Exactly. American political. Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the, the Bible is like the Mosaic law and Jehovah's Witnesses are like the Pharisees that let you know to which extent you have to apply the Mosaic law. Seriously, that is what they I mean, do. I said power is is. I think the Supreme if Court thing is how they the, see the, themselves. Oh, and what yeah, you describe it, is yeah. how it really is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we even talked about in our in our episode that won't be published because we lost it. Um, how sorry. it's I'm okay. Sorry. It's, it's all your fault. We talked about how um, the Watchtower is always like trash talking the, the Pharisees without like acknowledging that they are themselves. They they have become the Pharisees. They put all of their stock in their interpretation of the Bible into Paul's letters to the Christian congregation, which six out of the 14 of them have only been, are the only ones to have been confirmed to be written by Paul, none of which are the ones that we base the majority of our policies off of. And policies, you say? Policies. Sorry, it, it was just there. It's so a Greek root. I have to say it. <laughs> yeah, the Greek root to policy is Paul. <laughs> Paul. Policy. Except he's Roman, but you know, whatever. They spoke Greek. It's fine. Oh, by the way, I just want to clarify. I don't really care about Pharisees. Like, it, if, if someone wants to be a Pharisee, I, I don't have anything against that religion or any other religion in particular. I don't think Pharisee it's, is a religion anymore. A religion. What I'm saying is, like I don't really care of... anymore. I, I used to hate them a lot as a Jehovah's Witness. And as a Jehovah's Witness, the Pharisees, you're supposed people, to hate them. Yeah. People were Pharisee. But you don't really believe that. You don't really realize that that's kind of what, what the elders are. And that's kind of what Stephen Lett is. He's not an, 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 a studious guy going through the Bible. No, he's just like, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to JW. Once he you does see do that, that, you can't, you can't unsee it. No, you can't unsee it. 
Well, anyway, what are the final thoughts that we have before we close this amazing, amazing podcast episode? The best podcast episode ever. Harrison, what are your final thoughts? Well, I, th I thought in answer to the question, how do Jehovah's Witnesses believe all this nonsense? When oh, yeah, everyone a... answered except you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, when we look at this kind first. of age of, uh, age of modern day science, I think we have to understand what belief in God is. And I've, I've speculated about potentially doing a book on this in future, maybe five, ten years time when I got more free time to do other stuff called the God addiction. Because when I was waking up from religion, I, I, I analyzed my dad's behavior, the way he was speaking to me, the way he was clinging on to his beliefs in the face of all my reason. And I saw major parallels between my dad and my mum with her extreme alcoholism. And I produced a Word document where I listed about 15 major parallels between belief in God um, as a Jehovah's Witness or just as a milky Christian and an, an addict of drugs, uh, gambling or um, alcohol. And once you realize something is an addiction, you can then realize why people will do anything to, to maintain and salvage it when you try and take it away from them. I mean, if I try to take away my mum's last bottle of alcohol, you're going to have a fight. And so when I analyzed the story of Noah's Ark with my dad over email, after two previous people had talked to him about Noah's Ark and presented evidence, after a while, obviously dad had a certain degree of cognitive dissonance, as anyone would expect. But he came back to me with just one line. Are you calling Jesus a liar? Because obviously Jesus spoke about Noah's Ark as factual history. So what does that mean? What well, it means in did his Jesus head, speak about Noah's Ark? Yeah. Yeah. So did Peter. One, one, one time. Uh, yeah. So you have Jesus talking about Noah's Ark. Jesus watched Noah's Ark take place from the heavens. So you're not just questioning the story. You're questioning if Jesus existed. You're calling Jesus in effect a liar. So you have my dad who's addicted to the relationship with his best friends, Jehovah and Jesus. And here you come along and you threaten to call one of his best friends who kind of maintain his, his addiction a liar. And he's going to get very defensive. It's going to be a very visceral and raw reaction. So I think Jehovah's Witnesses maintain these um, non-scientific beliefs in this age by doing just enough to prevent people from delving deep enough into working it out for themselves they they put lines of literature like are you calling jesus a liar or evidently these things we've already discussed yeah. and that does just enough to kind of confuse the questioning jehovah's witness to be like well yeah maybe it's true and because of our inherent bias we want it to be true we want mm -hmm. it to be true so much that we we're like that will do for today. I didn't like doing that. A question, a question in my face. Let's, let's close that internet yep. browser search. Um, yep. Do you want to go on the ministry? That is so much more comforting and that will maintain our God addiction for longer than if we actually try to cut our addiction off. It's like cutting off an arm. It's not going to happen. I think that's, something that's that, that would be useful to add to that is the study of, um, what's it called? Uh, basically, uh, the not the bystander effect, but it's related to that where, pe where people will fill in the gaps to justify what is going on in a way that makes sense. So like when somebody is getting, um, you see two people yelling on the street and they start fighting with each other, right? Um, a lot of times your brain will go like, it's not that serious. Or, you know, you do things to protect yourself. Um, or you hear, you, you like notice that there's like flies at your neighbor's house and a really bad smell. And you think to yourself, I'm I'm sure it's okay. They probably are just hoarders or rotten food and definitely no one is in their dead. You know, like you do things to your brain automatically will try to downplay things. And so 
Yeah, to justify an action. It's the same reason that mandatory reporter laws are laws, because people will not <laughs> report things like child abuse because... Well, tell that to the Jehovah's Witnesses, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, the reason that it's a law in most countries is because people inherently will not do it. They will not report yeah. people. Because if you're reporting someone in your community and you are wrong, there's major consequences socially. And you're a snitch. And you're, well, no, that's shallow. <laughs> like, you, you have, if you're wrong, you have isolated yourself from your community by being wrong. And everybody thinks and that. Even if you're, even if you're right, you feel like you're betraying someone in your community. No, if you end up being right, it's a good thing. Like if you end up reporting the child abuser next door, that's great. That's a good thing. But that's not how your brain works. Your brain is going to think of the worst outcome and how to avoid that. And the way to avoid it is not to get involved. And so when people start questioning mm -hmm. your religion, you're going to find ways to basically justify how they are wrong. Well, it's, I think it's, it's survival instinct because when someone threatens uh, that uh, status quo yeah that status quo they threaten your the possibility of you living in paradise forever which is the way that you're going to cheat that that that's when life is going to happen Not, life life doesn't happen now life happens then so you i feel like there's a there's a part of you that is kind of in self-preservation be like no i i need this to be true because otherwise this is it and and yeah, otherwise, this is it. And someone, sometimes one day we are, are all going to die. And uh, that's just it. We're, we're not going to be here forever. And I mean, it's horrifying. Think, that's the and entire reason that the disfellowshipping arrangement exists is to further isolate themselves from things yeah. that question their status quo. Go ahead, Peems. I think sunk, sunk cost, sorry, sunk cost fallacy plays into it too because yeah by tying all those beliefs into each other they can't question one thing like say noah's ark without questioning every other thing and the weight of every other thing is everything my life has been wasted right like it's everything i have done up till now has been worthless it is such a big thing that like instead of like questioning that little 25 percent of one belief that will collapse everything and your whole life and your purpose and everything you've done, the sunk fa cost fallacy kicks in. And that is just too much to lose over something so tiny. So you fill in that last 25% and say, yeah, yeah it's fine. It's fine. Because the, the weight is so much of what you lose over that. Yeah. So guys, and I think if, if you look at the percentage of people who are leaving, um, that, that just backs up what you're saying. Um, it's Do young we people. Have actual numbers on that. Uh, I'm not sure, but by the people I talk to, by the people who contact me and things like that, it's overwhelmingly our age group, um, yeah. 30s, 20s, teens, loads of teenagers. And that's yeah. why I do my activism. It's just like teenagers are sat in their bed at home, scanning YouTube. They don't have the, uh, the sunk cost fallacy to a certain degree as mm. an adult. So they're not thinking to myself, I can't click on this. This is going to prove that I've wasted 65 years. This is just, <laughs> oh, there's a video about Jehovah's Witnesses, not from the organization. Let's click it. And you've potentially kind of like saved the rest of their life and prevented that generational indoctrination. So, yeah. yeah, like few people are waking up older and obviously they won't be on social media as much. So we can't um, probably say for sure about the numbers. But you would presume that, you know, our age category, uh, this is why we're waking up, because at least if we wake up, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. 
yeah. I've still got a good chunk of it to go. And that's why I think my dad will never wake up. And why I didn't want my grandparents to wake up because coming to those realizations has come to the realization that you've, I mean, how do you, how do you go about trying to break that down and, and, and realize that you've indoctrinated all your children um, you've shunned people that you shouldn't have shunned. You've and wasted that you've got, your whole life. Yeah, you've got maybe 10 years left in, in a shell of a body and you you can't do anything anymore. Your partner's yeah, no. not going to believe a word you say. No. I mean, I can't It'll imagine that. It would be hell. It would I, also I be hell, know. I would imagine, if a parent of a child who who had to refuse blood woke up. I think those yeah. would be... Ooh, maybe maybe don't wake those people up they, they, they this it's the only way that they're gonna cope Does i wonder if there are a few 82 year olds or older who are just are. like I, I know one. who have woken um, up but they just stay so, in. so i know yeah, someone tons of them is, who is pimo she's she's in her 60s um she lives with other witnesses uh, all of her family are witnesses everyone in her life are witnesses and she has nothing. If she were to come out and say she doesn't believe, she would lose everything. She'd lose. Uh, she'd have nowhere to live. She'd have no friends. She'd have no family. No family. You know, like yeah, like everything. So she stays Pimo and she watches the conventions through YouTubers, and um, and so that she can fake being in when she needs to talk to people. And she doesn't see a way out for herself because she has no one. And if she started to make friends on the outside, she'd be shunned. Yeah, uh, that is a, it's a miserable existence. That is a sad reality of why uh, Jehovah's Witnesses sometimes just can't help themselves but to believe this unscientific beliefs. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring it back so it looks like we planned all of this and so it looks like we are professionals at this. Any other thoughts about this unscientific beliefs and how they affect Jehovah's Witnesses before? We move on to the part where everyone just skips the episode because we're just talking about uh, where people can find us. What, what, uh, do, you, Dex, what do you think? Kim? I wanted to ask you if you remember um, when you asked me about the age of the Italian city of Matera. Yes. <laughs> what about it? Uh, I just remember we, we were in, in Italy. Well, let me that. Okay, I just remember you asked me about a city in Italy on Matera on Wikipedia named Matera, which is the one oldest of the known oldest civil- continuously inhabited civilizations in in Europe, and um, and you were just reading off the Wikipedia page, and it was like, oh, it's uh, nine thousand years. It's nine thousand. It's been continuously inhabited for nine thousand years, and. You like read that out loud, and I remember being like, oh, that's before the flood. Mm, I'm not, not going to say anything. You yeah, because I, I, uh, I, I didn't well, know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that we, I had never studied how long we believed humans to be about. So I didn't know that we only thought humans existed for 6,000 years. You're muted. You didn't know what you were supposed to believe. No. So, so it wasn't a problem for you. No, I was like, Matera, 9,000 years. That sounds right. I was like, Jesus probably lived 20,000 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> that was yeah, a game-changing yeah. moment for me when I went to the museums in London and I saw these civilizations and uh, around ancient Mesopotamia and they were dated to before 6,000 years ago or around that time. Normally, it's not before, around, uh, before that time. Normally, it's 
at a time such as maybe uh, one and a half thousand, two thousand uh, BC, two and a half thousand BC. And it's like, okay, well, pause it. To, to form these civilizations, how fast would Adam and Eve had to be reproducing when, when Noah? So Noah was one in 1,300 years after Adam or 1,500 years. So you have eight people on earth and the year is two and a half thousand BC. And then, okay, so, and then you, you realize there is no way you could have all these different civilizations and the dating of the pyramids, none of it makes any sense. That was a major factor in me waking up too, 100%. Yeah. You clearly did not hear this this Splane clip that I'm going to put right here, where David Splane is like, oh, that is probably the wrong the wrong time. The Smithsonian says that the pyramids were built here, but that's obviously not right because the flood came in. We're going to put a number of statements on the screen, and there's a problem with each one of them. Now, your job is to figure out what's wrong, why it is wrong, and then suggest how to fix it. It's going to be fun. Here's the first statement. According to the Smithsonian Knowledge Encyclopedia, the Egyptian Sphinx was constructed around 2550 BCE. The Egyptian Sphinx was constructed around 2550 BCE. Well, the problem is with the date, 2550. The global flood occurred about 200 years after that date. So what are the chances that the Sphinx survived the flood? Unless, of course, you think that that's how the Sphinx lost his nose. I, I can never remember how we conclude this podcast. I, I think we usually conclude this podcast by saying, Dax, where can people find you? You can find me on my YouTube channel at Dax the Scholar, or you can find me on Twitter, um, I believe under the same name, or Jorn Exborg. And then um, you can also actually find me on... Yeah, or you can find me on Facebook. That's fine, too. I actually changed my uh, my name on Facebook to be Dax, so that way extra Hovis witnesses can find me. Please reach out if you need help. I am here. Indeed. I'm constantly busy, but I will try to help as much as I can. <laughs> yes, that's. I think that's that's for all of us, right? And Peems, where can people find you? Because everyone knows where to find Harrison. Let's face it. You, you're not listening to this and being like, Harrison, what, who's, where can I find it, him? So we can leave him till the end. Yeah, you don't get to plug. <laughs> He gets a plug uh, until I, the end. You can find me on Twitter under at my little Pimo. That's M-Y-L-I-T-T-L-E-P-I-M-O. And you need to follow me because I'm the only one here who is not a YouTuber. So I need your pity likes and your pity follows. Please. That's why, that's why I follow you. Yeah. Perfect. So Harrison, where can people follow you? Don't follow me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no. Yeah. Follow me if you want. I'm I'm online. What, 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 what else do you want to plug? Can... You're gonna oh, you're gonna be back on YouTube soon, right? I am back on YouTube uh, next week. I'm excited about it. Actually, I've had Ooh. four months off, and I'm thinking of creating like a sub channel as well. You know, like um, these YouTubers have like clips of themselves, not shorts within sixty seconds, but clips from a major video. Because I, I do a video like the one I'm about to upload, and it's about half an hour of of my friend pretending to be an elder and I'm um, inactive for about seven months and he's trying to convince me I'm against coming. We cover about 11 different topics and just skim over the, the conversation. But I think a lot of people won't click the main video. So I'm thinking of creating like a Truth Hurts highlights page and then just putting more regular content on there. Um, so yeah, I, join. If there's anything to join, I need people to actually join that when I set it up. Perfect. And you can probably look it up because we'll take a couple of days to to upload this so when when that's ready let me know and we'll link it below so we can we can you, people can follow it in the description 
And fantastic. you can follow me as XGW Caleb. On, I'm on YouTube and on Twitter. I just uploaded a convention uh, highlights episode, which is, I think, I am, I, I, I'm pretty sure I am the last person to ever get to the convention. So yeah, if you want to hear that for, for for like the fifth time, you can you can. Oh, yours that. was fantastic. Oh. I'm sorry. Don't talk. Yeah. Mine, short. mine. Look, I, I I wanted to get away from rebuttals because I feel I feel I. We can just cringe together, you know. I just I just wanted a, like a, a collection of clips with minimal commentary because I feel Jehovah's Witnesses just rebut themselves like this. This believes you don't need anyone to be like, oh, this is why Stephen Lynn is wrong about. God, babies being enemies of God. You, you don't need that. You you just need to get it out there. And I have never been more committed to show as many people as possible this spiritual food as I am now that I'm a, I'm a, I'm an apostate for some reason. Like, man, the hours that I'm doing. Have you seen my watch hours? Like, I would report. Oh, I would be even in my tiny channel. I could be like the best um, pioneer, and like they, they should really give me give me any money. <laughs> So yeah, that is that is usually the end of the podcast. I and then we usually, I don't know, it's like should we cut it right here? You know what? You know what how we should end this podcast? Well, I'm just gonna cut it to like the best bit of the podcast, the best clip of the podcast, the 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 the, the one that people should should take home, and I'm gonna cut it right here. I haven't seen anyone's video, if I'm being honest. I, I mean I saw XJW Caleb, a few of his, just because I think they're they're fantastic.